Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Before we get to the message, I want to encourage all of you who live locally to go online and sign up for one of our backyard barbecues this summer. Oaks Barbecues are your best opportunity to meet and make new friends at Oaks Church. To see all the available groups and sign up, visit oakschurch.com forward slash groups. Now, let's check out today's message. Oh my gosh, there's so many wonderful things going on. I can't wait to tell you what's going on. But we're going to keep going with this series, Empowered. Today, our topic is how to overcome anything. How to overcome anything. Wouldn't you like to know that? What if I I told you that the Lord showed me a place in Scripture that literally was a formula, step-by-step process that God gave to us so that you could overcome anything in life? That's what he showed me this week. Have you ever felt like you were losing? Ever felt like you were in a losing season? You ever played on a losing team in sports? There's no, it is no fun being on a losing team. You ever rooted for a losing team like the cow? Never mind. I'm going to move on. We're going to get a good season. It's coming. It's coming. I, I've had losing seasons. I've been on a losing team. Uh, I, I was a goalie in soccer. And when you're on a losing team as the goalie, it is really no fun. Because that means you're getting beaten to a pulp every game. Uh, but I've lived in losing seasons and I've been through different situations. I've lost in finances. I've lost in real estate. I've lost uh, in the market. I've lost in relationships. I've lost a lot in my life. But we're not defined by the losses that we have. We're not defined. The, The scripture doesn't say the righteous never fall. In fact, the scriptures say that though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Yeah. You're not defined by your failure. You're defined by the fact that you get up. Right. We are the get up people. That's who we are. We don't stay down. I remember a time, and most of you that know me know that I was a professional martial artist. And I trained and competed all, all over different parts of the world and fought people all over the world. And at my last world championships, I had an experience in the gold medal match where I was fighting the reigning uh, champion from from Norway. And the dude was literally, without any hesitation, this doesn't take a lot, but he was a foot taller than me. And uh, and that is different. It's not different for people to be a foot taller than me. It's different for people to be a foot taller than me and weigh the same as me. That's the, you know, that's kind of the difference is normally if they're taller than me, they're also heavier. I won't have to fight them. But this guy was literally a full foot taller and, and he was in my class and he was the, one of the, I'm telling you, one of the most strategic best fighters um, that I'd ever fought. And it was in my prime and it was the first time that my wife was there watching me. Now, it's one thing to get beat. It's another thing to get beat when your wife is watching. That's never fun. And about 30 seconds, this guy was a major showboat. And what I mean by that is every time he would score, the the way it worked is it was a square. And on every corner, there was a referee. And the referee had two clickers. 
And when you would score, they'd click this one. And when they would score, they would click that one. And they're literally just clicking. And so one of the strategies was to angle your opponent to where three different judges could see when you scored on them. Because if three judges saw it, three judges clicked, that was three points. You hit them once, you got three points. That's a big deal. If you hit someone so good that all four judges see, it's a four-point strike. If you were to kick someone in the head or the face, which is my favorite thing, um, that's a two-point technique. If four judges see it, that's eight points like that. This guy was a major showboater. He was working the judges, and within the first 30 seconds, he had scored on me a number of times and was celebrating and jeering me, like, like antagonizing me on purpose in front of my wife. And I lost it. I absolutely lost it. And I literally bum-rushed this guy, and, and, and I... I threw about a six or seven technique combination at him, backed him up to the corner of the ring, and the very last thing I did was I plowed him in the mouth as hard as I could and knocked him out. <laughs> out. Now, the problem was it was not a full contact event. <laughs> so although I felt like I won in that exchange, I immediately have to go and bow on my knees facing away from my opponent and I get what's called an excessive force foul. They do this, and then they do this, and that means that you lost a point from every judge. So that one lapse of self-control cost me four points, and he was already way up in score. And as I'm sitting on my knees facing my coach, I'm like, it's over, I blew it. And my coach Rob looks at me, he goes, it ain't over, Joel. It ain't over. You get back in there and you fight like your life depends on it. Uh, there was a movie called Independence Day. It's fitting for this week. It's got one of my favorite actors in it. I love Will Smith. I think Will Smith is one of the funniest dudes. If I could have dinner with any celebrity, it would probably be Will Smith. I just think he's hilarious, all right? Well, in Independence Day, if you remember that movie, it was one of those aliens are attacking the earth kind of thing, and Will Smith is a fighter pilot, and, and it's at the very, very end, and it looks like the aliens are going to win. Jeff Goldblum's in the movie. And at the very last second, something opens, the opportunity comes, and Will Smith says something so spiritual, so biblical, so God. He says, you know what I'm going to say. He says, I ain't heard no fat lady. That's what he said. I ain't heard no fat lady. And then he goes and he shoots in there because it ain't over until the, right? So I'm not trying to be offensive to anyone at all. Just quoting Will, all right? But so many times in life, we feel like because we're taking hits, because we're going through something, we feel like it's over. I have felt like at times, there's no way I'll recover from this. There's no way I'll come back from this. There's no way I could make it back financially. There's no way I could make it back in this marriage. There's no way I could make it back in my faith. I have felt like that at times. And chances are, so have you. But there's a problem with that type of thinking. And the problem is simply this, is that you were born to win. You were literally born. 
You're on this earth not to lose. You're on this earth to win. And we've all known somebody uh, that, that literally, like their life, it just seems like everything goes right for them. Right? And they never have a bad day. Tom Brady. He's tall. He's good looking. He's talented. He's famous. He's rich. His wife is richer. And she's a supermodel. This dude is a very blessed man. He pro- I'm sure he's never had a bad day. Well, obviously he has. There are other, I mean, we can sit in a position and look, and, and there are people, do you remember there's a, there was a cartoon, was it called, it was called Born Loser, a little comic strip, cartoon, remember that one? And there are people that think they're a born loser. I deal with people all the time that feel like it's just not in the cards for me to win. Other people win, not me. Other people overcome, not me. I, I was, that guy was born to win, that girl was born to win, I wasn't born to win. And there are people that literally feel like losers. The problem is, when you come to Jesus, it doesn't matter how you may have been born previously. When you come to Jesus, you are born again. You understand? The whole idea of being born again, you may have had a bum deal, bad parents, wrong side of the tracks, not the right gender to, in your mind. Not the right color in your mind. Not the right whatever in your mind. You may have a good excuse until Jesus. Because once Jesus enters the picture, no excuse matters anymore. Once Jesus enters the picture and you become born again, you are officially born to win. You see... Jesus never loses. He can't lose. It's impossible for Jesus to lose. Jesus had to make himself look like he was losing so that the devil would be convinced that he had won. So it looked like a loss in the Garden of Gethsemane. It looked like a loss when Jesus was so full of anxiety that he was bleeding out of his pores, drops of blood. It looked like a loss when they took him away and began to beat him. It looked like a loss when they put a crown of thorns on his head. It looked like a loss when they whipped him so severely that it ripped all the skin off of his back. It looked like a loss when he was imprisoned, when he was convicted to death. It looked like a loss when he was nailed to the cross. Looked like a loss when he cried out to his father and says, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt he intentionally put himself in position to feel every single type of loss that we could ever feel just so that he could take it for us and move us into a position of ultimate victory. Looked like a loss for three days. And then that Sunday morning, when he rose from the dead, what looked like a loss turned into an ultimate victory. Jesus can't lose. He always 
wins. I'm going to read you a story today about the very first martyr in the scripture. This is in Acts. I believe we'll start in Acts chapter 6. Last week, Brandon spoke, and he did a fantastic job. He referenced a, yeah, you can give, give Brandon a hand. Fantastic job. Um, we gave away his book to anyone and everyone that wanted a copy of his book, Recognizing Your Value, fantastic book that I'm currently reading. Um, we have more copies today. If you didn't get one last week, you can feel free to pick that up um, as long as you read. Um, but he mentioned a story in Scripture. He doesn't have the audio version or we would give you that one, you know, so you have to be able to read. That's all I'm saying. A story in scripture when there was a challenge inside of the church and the church had grown too fast. And because it grew so fast, the disciples, the apostles now, who were used to be able to spend all their time teaching and preaching, they had been relegated to the position of waiters. And they were, and nothing wrong, they were feeding the poor, they were taking care of widows and orphans, they were doing wonderful, wonderful work. But the problem is it was being bottlenecked. The gospel was being bottlenecked because they didn't, they hadn't replicated themselves. They hadn't duplicated themselves. So they had to pick specific people of incredible value and handpick them to be the next generation, the phase two leaders. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about a couple of those. Today, we'll talk about Stephen. And in the future, we'll talk about Philip. But Stephen was the very first martyr for Jesus. See, one of the things that Jesus said in Acts chapter one, it's recorded before he ascended into heaven, Jesus said that I will give you the Holy Spirit and when he comes upon you, he'll fill you with power so that you can be my witnesses all around the world. But when he said you can be my witnesses, he didn't use the word that we would use for witness, like in a court case or uh, seeing an incident. He used the word that was translated in Greek, martus, which means martyrs. He said, I will give you the power to die for me all over the world. That doesn't sound like a very good sales pitch, right? If that was the sales pitch today, not many people would take it up. For a better offer, right? But the reality is that is the sales pitch. And whether you die physically, we all will at some point in time, just depends on how. But there are believers all over the world who still die for their faith in Jesus Christ. All over the world. Just because we're in a cushy spot in America and we've got all these laws that protect us and a few hundred years of Christian uh, experience and influence, there are places all over the world where Christians die for their faith. Regardless of if it's literal, it is absolutely also figurative. Because there is an internal dying that happens according to Jesus, and it happens on a daily basis. So this guy, Stephen... Acts 6, verse 8, let me read this little story to you. And it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, this is the waiter. This is the assistant for widows and orphans. 
This is the guy that was not hired to go teach the gospel. He wasn't hired to stand on the stage and preach. He wasn't hired to do that side of the work. He was hired to be a servant and a janitor. Yet he was so powerful. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what place you serve in in God's house. The power is for everyone. The power is for everyone. It doesn't matter in the nursery. You better believe there are some babies that need the power of Christ released into their life. You could be in the parking lot. Lord knows you can lose Jesus in the parking lot like this. We get in our cars and we forget. We forget to lift up holy hands. Lift up other parts. See, it didn't matter what role they were to serve. It was the same Holy Spirit in every role. And operating in power was a requirement. He was full of faith and power. And he did great wonders and signs among the people. He was a miracle worker. And then there arose some from what's called the synagogue of freedmen. I'll skip through those little countries. It doesn't matter. Disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by what she spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him to the council. And verse 15 says, and all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. See, even when you're accused... If you walk righteously, your innocence will be known to all. I wish there was a good ending to this story. I wish I could tell you that the story was, and so the council met and said, hey, this guy's innocent. Look at his angel face. Obviously, he's innocent. Look at that face. That guy couldn't do nothing. But that's not how the story went. Stephen got to stand up and give testimony on his own behalf. And I want you this week to please read Acts chapter 7. It's one of the most unbelievable, take you to school dissertations on the entire work of God in the earth, going from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all the way through to Jesus. Unbelievable speech, talk, or revelatory word out of the mouth of God to the religious leaders of that time. Watch what happens. At the end of it, I, I won't read the whole speech to you, it's too long. But at the end, he finishes angel face, Stephen. Baby face, Stephen. Finishes with this in Acts seven fifty one. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. He was about to get off. He was about to get released from prison. But the boldness and the power and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon him so much so that he goes and sticks it right in their faces. 
You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by the Holy Spirit, but they were filled with rage and they gnashed their teeth at him. But he being full of the Spirit gazed up into heaven. He was, he was not, we don't know, he was in a building. He was in front of the council. He was inside the court. We don't know where he was, but he saw into heaven. Watch, he says, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. You know what that means? That means because Jesus was seated at the right hand of his Father. So when Jesus was listening to Stephen's speech, he stood up, he's like, oh, ha, ha, that's my boy right there. Mm, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Ah, oh, Jesus stood up. Standing O for Stephen. When Stephen reveals what he saw in the spirit realm, it just made it worse. It was salt in their wounds. It was, it, I mean, he just, he couldn't help himself. And then they cried out with loud voices. And this is hilarious. And they stopped up their ears and they ran at him. Is that not funny to anybody? That is hysterical. What adult? What adult? Screams and goes, ah! What adult does this? God. You did it once? He had it coming. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry. They ran at him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They began to throw rocks at him. They were judging him for blasphemy. And when the witnesses laid down their clothes, at the feet of a young man named Saul. You'll meet him later. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God. He's in the middle of dying, guys. He's in the middle of being smashed with stones. And he cries out and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with my sin. When he had said this, he fell asleep. It means he died. I don't know which one of us do. Do somebody sideswiped me in traffic one day? Chad was with me. I chased this person with my car <laughs> because they sideswiped me and looked at me and then took off. And I'm like, "You son of a gun!" Man. Diana was so mad. Chad was in his first car chase. He was probably 16. <laughs> Chasing that fool down. Why? Because I'm not as good as Stephen. Stephen literally replicated Jesus. He was the first person not only to die for Jesus, but he said almost the same words that Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It looked like a major win for the religious people. This was the beginning of massive persecution to Christians. 
This guy Saul, who was a young man standing there, he wasn't the one throwing rocks. He was too smart to throw the rocks himself. He was the guy that was so smart, he incited the, he was the mouth. Did you ever have that friend in school? The one that was the mouth that would do all the talking and then stand back and let you fight? Saul was the mouth, but he caught something that day. He caught this passion that he saw in Stephen, the zealousness that he saw in Stephen. And he caught this passion in a backwards, perverted sense. And he began to unleash the most hellish persecution against the church. That looks like a major loss. Looks like a huge loss. But it was this season of persecution that forced the Christians to get out of Jerusalem, run for their lives, and take Jesus to the entire world. What looks like a loss can ultimately be a win. Ladies and gentlemen, in life, trials will come. Tests, tribulations, Hard times. If someone told you, look, just give your life to Jesus and everything will get better, they lied to you. Things will get better, but sometimes you give yourself and you sell out to Jesus and all hell breaks loose. Why? Because now you're public enemy number one to the enemy number one. And he's looking at you going, when you were asleep, I could leave you alone. Now that you're woke, I have to deal with you. And so he'll unleash things against you to try to trip you up, to try to get you off the path that you've now entered into. See, the, the truth of the matter is this is what Jesus said, John chapter 16, 31. Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, and has now come that you will be scattered. Jesus prophesied what was going to happen with Stephen. A time has come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and he will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He was also speaking of them running for their lives whenever he was taken captive. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace, right? It is part of the promise. He's the Prince of Peace, but it wasn't about peace without any struggle. It was peace, supernatural. Why? Because verse 33 says, In this world you will have tribulation, trials, tests. That word tribulation, the original word means to crush. I've felt crushed at times. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Jesus didn't promise easy peasy. He, he, he did say his yoke was easy and his burden is light because he's with you in the middle of it. He didn't promise you no storm. He promised to be with you in the storm. He promised to have already overcome the storm. But he didn't promise you wouldn't have one. I, I gotta tell you, I lived most of my life, I went through some stuff growing up, but, but I literally, uh, someone coming in today told me I looked pretty in pink 
And, and then their husband said, don't call him pretty. I'm like, why? My grandma did. My grandma called me pretty boy. My mama called me golden boy. I, I grew up with this mindset because my mom, th- she said I was like a cat. It didn't matter. I always landed on my feet. That was my experience growing up. I always found a way to slip through, to get by, to come out and, and call it luck, call it whatever. I don't know. But I had that experience until my daughter died. And it was the first time in my life that I had really, really, really lost And it was devastating. And I had no compassion for people in struggle because I had no appreciation for struggle. Because things had just worked out for me. And I remember asking the Lord, you know, we, we, we should never ask when trial happens, and this is a major mistake that people make. They make the mistake of asking God why, 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 why. You'll never get that answer. Because the answer would never be good enough. What the Lord taught me to ask, this maybe will help somebody. What do you want me to learn? I remember being in my bathroom shaving Sunday morning, just weeping. A few weeks after my daughter died. And I remember asking God that question. For the first time, I asked a better question. And he said, finally, finally you asked the right question. I said, why? He said, because I wanted you to be more like my son. He said, my son was a man acquainted with much sorrows. You've never known sorrow, Joel. So you can't relate to anyone on any level that deals with sorrow. But now you can. And your sorrow will pass. But the lesson will remain. And you'll be way more useful for me. I have been able to help thousands of people because of the sorrow I've tasted. We all are going to have trials. We're all going to have hard times. We're all going to have things that we have to come back from, that we have to recover from. In Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews is the hall of fame of faith is what it's called. It speaks of all of these massive heroes of faith. And then it goes into this picture, Hebrews eleven thirty five, 35, says that women received, listen to these miracles, women received their dead raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mocking and scourging, being beat with whips, and yes, in chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted and slain by the sword. Some, some authors believe this was actually Saul or Paul who wrote Hebrews. No one really knows. It was an anonymous book. But if it was Saul or Paul, he's describing what he witnessed with his own eyes because he was the one persecuting the Christians himself. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being detested, destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. Listen to that. This author describes people that suffer for Jesus and stay righteous. The world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise 
I'll explain that in a moment. God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What the author here was saying is that all of these heroes of the faith he's describing were people that died not having received the fulfillment of the promise. And that now we, coming to faith in Christ Jesus, even though maybe we didn't have that experience, those people, says the world was not worthy of them. They suffered incredible sufferings, not yet receiving the promise or the fulfillment of the resurrection, which we will receive one day. But he's saying in this that all of us that die in Christ and live in Christ are being perfected together and we will all rise as the body of Christ and be perfected together in the future. You see, it's our honor to endure for him. That's not fun news. But it's our honor to endure for him. James chapter 1 says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete Lacking nothing. There's a purpose. Listen, there's a purpose in your pain. God doesn't want you to live in pain. He doesn't want you to live in suffering. He doesn't want you to suffer long term. But there are seasons of pain and seasons of suffering that God does allow in his sovereignty because he knows what it will produce in you because of the suffering and the pain that I've endured I'm a different person I can relate to people on a different level I have compassion listen some of you you watch me I get up here when I feel the Holy Spirit when I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit I I cry I can't help it And, and I've had people go man he sure does cry a lot I didn't used to do that I used to be mean and tough Until I became acquainted with sorrow. And I began to develop this spiritual empathy. That I feel the pain of people. My heart goes out for them. All through scripture Jesus it was recorded that he was moved with compassion. There was a visible compassion that came upon Jesus. Your life is going to be a roller coaster. I I heard um, Rick Warren from Saddleback Church in California. He described his his, uh, view of how life works as being like two two tracks for a train. And they run parallel. Some of you relate to this. And one of them is good and one of them is evil. And, And in his understanding, it feels like They both happen simultaneously. See, I got to tell you, the the worst season of my life when my daughter was dying of brain cancer was also one of the best seasons of my life in every other way. doesn't make any sense. It it almost makes you feel crazy. But in the reality, it's the thing that keeps you sane. Because you 
there's still hope. You're still seeing good. God doesn't ever let you have all bad all at once. He keeps good in your life as well. See, I, I view life as a roller coaster. And I'm a thrill seeker, so I like roller coasters. And when we were in Disney a few months ago, we did this roller coaster at Universal Studios that literally, it started off and it went straight up for like 150, 200 feet. And then it flattened out. Have you seen this one? And then it went straight stinking down. Not like roller coaster, I'm talking like this and then like this. And it was the, oh my God, scream the whole time. Some kind of rock and roll. You get to pick your own music, man. I had Aerosmith going. It was outrageous. I was like, ah, screaming. I like the thrill of the up and the down on a roller coaster. But we want life to be all up. It just doesn't work that way. Trials will come. And the secret is this. We need to never stop swinging. Never stop swinging. See, that same world championships that I told you about, one of my instructors, a gentleman named Jason Wadley, unbelievable martial artist. This dude, literally his feet were like cobras. I mean, he could pick his foot up and he would like come at you on one leg and his foot, his literally his foot was doing like this. I mean, it looked like the head of a cobra. It was unbelievable. And he was from Arkansas. Oh, man, sui. And, and, and he, man, he's, he, he talked like this. And I'm like, Mr. Wadley, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you get in the ring? We're at the world championships. I mean, this is the world championships. I'm in my early 20s or mid-20s, 25-ish. And he goes, man, I'm just going to jump in there and start flinging. That's what he said. I'm going to start flinging. You don't know what flinging is. Flinging. Kicking, punch, flank, just flank. I'm going to get in there and start flanging. Well, well, he had said that in the very first phases. And he actually had gotten beat by someone. And, and here I am now in the gold medal round. And I got that in my head. And my coach is like, it ain't over. I ain't hurt no fat lady. Get up. Get in there. Stick to your game plan and take it to him. And I got up and I jumped back in there. And I fought my heart out. And I literally, the entire fight, I felt like I was losing the whole time. And at the end, we're standing facing the judges and and they go to raise the next world champion's hand and they raise my hand. And I I look at his, his name was Perjone. I look at Perjone, he looks at me, both of us like, what? (laughs) And I'm like, ha, right about. I mean, we go nuts. And, and when they tallied the scores, I had lost a bunch of points for that excessive force. But I had run Perjane out of the ring 12 times in one, in one match. 12 times I'd run him out of the ring. And every three times I ran him out of the ring, number one, if he's out of the ring and I'm in the ring, I can still score the whole time. If he's out of the ring, he, his don't count. And, and every three times you get run out of the ring, you lose a full point. He lost 12 points because he couldn't stay in the ring. So he thought he was winning, but he couldn't stay in bounds. Oh, this is a lesson for somebody. 
He thought he was winning, but he couldn't stay in bounds. Life has boundaries you have to stay in. Boundaries at work. Boundaries in marriage. Boundaries in finance. Boundaries in parenting. I stayed in bounds and just kept flinging. But I felt like I was losing the whole time until they put the gold medal around my neck. Come on, guys, some of us in life, you may not feel like you've won much so far. But God has brought you to a place and he's up there in heaven going, keep swinging, baby. Keep swinging. See, the Bible says that, that, that we are just to stand. It says that if we'll resist the devil, he will flee from us. We just stand and we resist him. We don't back down. We don't lay down. We don't give up. We don't quit. We may fall down, get knocked down, get run out. We get up, we get back, we keep swinging. We resist the devil. He flees from us. One more point today. I have to save, I know you're gonna be mad at me, but I'm gonna save the absolute best part for next week. And it's, I'm telling you, it is, it's the part. So come back. Watch the podcast, listen, whatever. But the secret, the secret for these disciples and the secret that's described to us in the book of 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, it's the second shortest verse in the entire Bible, but it is the secret for how to overcome. It says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. But, but, but my dog died. Rejoice always. Mm, Father, thank you for that dog. I love that dog. See, that was the secret. With, with my daughter, O'Neal, took me five years to learn this. But when I learned to be more thankful and grateful and rejoice for the 18 months that I had her, and I rejoiced more for those 18 months than I mourned for her loss. That's when I got free. When I turned it into rejoicing instead of mourning because I was so grateful. Father, thank you for those 18 months. I would have rather had them than not had them. Thank you. Gratefulness is a massive, massive tool in your life. Rejoice always. The disciples, it says the first time they were beaten and whipped, they went away rejoicing for the honor of suffering for his name. It's craziness. Rejoice always. That's your homework for this week. Read Acts 7. Resist the devil. Stand up and resist him. Tell him no. He wants to lead you out of bounds. He wants to lead you off the track. Stand up and resist him. And rejoice always. First two steps. Next week you'll get the next three. Don't miss it. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. 
On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.